Welcome to joining us here for this Lord's Day. Thank you for joining us to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's begin today in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the privilege that we have to come before you today. I thank you for each one that has joined us, and I do pray that you allow us, as we sing our songs of praise unto you, to lift them up genuinely from our heart. I pray that you would give us blessing in our heart as we listen to special music. And then, Lord, that you would open our heart, our minds, to receive the message of your word today as well. Thank you for all aspects of this service. May you be glorified. May we be benefited as we continue in our worship of you. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Again, thank you for joining us. We're going to sing in just a moment a couple of songs. Uh, one is How Great Thou Art, and then Blessed Assurance. Again, this will be by Laura and Leah Holland leading us, and I hope that you will take the opportunity to sing along with us. Then there will be special music uh, that will follow the uh, two hymn songs. Uh, that will be by Laura and Leah Holland as well, joined by Amber Stewart. And they will be singing a song entitled, Nobody. So listen carefully to the words and to the message, for it goes somewhat with our message today that I'll be preaching. Then I'll be back for that message just after we get through singing. So please join us now as we sing along with these great songs.
few weeks ago, we had a missionary here, and I heard him, you know, saying, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about Jesus, and that's what this song is about. So. Amen. Praise the Lord for the message of, of song, and uh, thank you for singing along with us. Right now, if you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Gold is one of the most valuable materials on earth. It has been used for centuries as money 
but it also has many uses in industry, manufacturing, and even in spaceflight. One of the traits that makes gold so useful is that it can be shaped and formed so easily. In fact, in a single ounce of gold, I'm told, can be flattened out to cover 300 square feet. That's amazing. But gold ore dug out of the ground contains many other elements that must be removed prior to the gold being useful. The refining process for gold involves intense heat being put to the fire. Gold melts at a temperature of almost 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That incredibly high temperature is required for gold to be ready to be used. In the Christian life, it is very much a similar type of a situation. God takes what's called the trials, our fiery trials, and uses them as uh, a furnace in our life to heat up us and cause the dross to rise to the surface that he can get rid of those things that shouldn't be in our life, that what is left would be pure and ready to be used. God is working with us. Isaiah 48.10, he says, Behold, I have refined thee. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. The furnace, the fire of affliction, of trials. In 1 Peter 1.7, Peter writes, he says, That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. In other words, that God uses the fiery trials in our life, the difficulties that come, and he uses those things to shape and to mold us and to make us into that which he wants us to be, to be used for his glory, to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Every one of us face trials. We have in the past, we're going to face trials in the future. And some of you are going through some very difficult trials even right now today. But there are several facts that we all know, or at least we should know. Number one, we should know that some trials are for chastisement, while other trials are for strengthening of our faith. Now let's understand the two. Chastisement is when God, if you will, spanks us. He brings in discipline into our life to cause us to deal with some sin in our life that we have been reluctant to deal with. For instance, God uses messages such as a preaching message today or Bible studies or in your own reading of the Word of God. He uses the Word of God to confront us and to reveal where there is sin in our life and prompts us through the Holy Spirit to deal with that by repenting of our sin, turning from it, and confessing it unto him for his forgiveness. But when we resist that process, when we resist God's work in our life, then he brings it to the next level, and he begins to bring in trials. And there are different levels of chastisement that he may use, but he brings in that trial of difficulty to try to get our attention to turn back to him and deal with the sin so that we can be forgiven and restored in fellowship 
because he knows that that is where the greatest blessings will be for our lives. And so God works with us that way through chastisement. But there are other times when there may not be a sin that he is working on in particular, but it may be just some difficulty that he wants to bring in our life to cause us to be more in line with what Jesus Christ is, to change us better into his image. It's kind of like working with weights. Uh, No one will go into a weight room and pick up a weight bar and never put any weights on it and think that just lifting the bar is going to do all of the work and make all of the changes. There needs to be a resistance. There needs to be a trial, a difficulty in the level. And if we experience that and we endure that, then it strengthens our muscles and that we are better than when we first came in. And so we need to understand the process that God works on us as well and know the fact that some trials are for uh, chastisement, while other trials, God is simply using them to strengthen our faith, our walk with him. Job 23.10 says, He knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I will be better after having gone through the trial than before. Number two thing that we know Both trials for chastisement and trials for the strengthening of our faith are for a goal, a purpose. And that purpose is for our good, for our benefit. We know that Romans 8, 28 is still in the book that says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God uses all things in our life even the difficult trials that he allows or he even designs, that they may cause us to be better, more like the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. Number three thing that we know or should know is that trials bring about patience, a maturing process for us as believers. And therefore, we should count it all joy when we fall into these various trials, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And we know also, number four, that present sufferings that we're going through right now, they are nothing to be compared to the glory or the blessings that will be awaiting us in the future with the Lord. Paul made that statement of of recognition and counted that to be true. He is one that probably has suffered more or suffered more in his life than any of us ever will. But we praise the Lord that that is a truth that we can hold on to. And then the last thing that we know or should know is that properly enduring trials, and what I mean by that is enduring them while trusting Jesus Christ to sustain us and to give us uh, the sufficient grace that he has promised If we properly endure trials, it gives a testimony uh, of God's peace in our life that uh, the world does not understand. It passes all understanding. So we praise God that when we allow his work in us, when we allow his grace to be sufficient, when we trust him and let him sustain us, that that peace that he gives the world would like to know more about. It draws them 
to seek the Lord Jesus Christ. It magnifies the Lord Jesus Christ before them. So, understand these things that no one naturally enjoys going through trials. But since we know these things, we can understand what God may be doing through them. Also, listen to and understand these good quotes that I came across. The first one from uh, Warren Wiersbe. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. I think that is true. If you never test something, you never know if it's going to hold up. And our faith needs to be tested, not so much for God's understanding of it, but for our own understanding of it, where we stand with the Lord. And then uh, Reverend William uh, Seeker made the next few statements. He says, by affliction, the Lord separates the sin that he hates from the soul that he loves. And he does. We talked about that chastisement a while ago. Also, he said, if Joseph had not been in Egypt's prisoner, let me stop there and let's make sure we understand. You remember Joseph in the Old Testament scriptures was one of Jacob's 12 sons. And his brother sold him into bondage into going to Egypt and uh, said goodbye, thinking that they'd never see him again, that he would probably die there. And he ended up in prison in Egypt. God promoted him out of prison all the way to second in command under Pharaoh himself. He was the governor of all of Egypt. And how that, um, uh, that through that, the Lord allowed him to be in a position that he could help his brothers and his father and all of the Jewish people. But I want you to listen to this quote now. If Joseph had not been Egypt's prisoner, he would have never been Egypt's governor. He went through the difficult times first. He goes on to say, The iron chains about his feet ushered in the golden chains about his neck. The difficult chains, the hurtful chains, brought in the chains of blessing and benefit. And then an African proverb that I came across Smooth seas do not make skillful sailors. That is so true as well. If we've never gone through any trial, we've never had our faith tested. We don't know whether or not we can handle those things or not. But it's when we go through the trials and we see God faithful in our lives through them, it's then that our faith is strengthened. And our resolve to trust the Lord is strengthened as well. It's this subject about trials that I want us to consider today. Specifically, even in the midst of trials, I want us to see that we are to be magnifying our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've entitled the message today, Magnifying the Master. Father, I pray that as we open your word, as we look into its truths, that you would allow me freedom to be able to share the things you've laid upon my heart, that I could share them very clearly, that you would help each one of our folks that are tuned in to listen, that they would understand its truths, that you would take your Holy Spirit and your word, and that you would apply it into their lives in such a way that as they leave out of here today from this particular service, that you would allow them, Lord, to be walking more closely with you, and that they could magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, their Master, their Savior. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
All right, take your Bibles, as I said, to Acts chapter 16. I want us to look, first of all, at the illustration of Paul and Silas. Uh, also, before we get there, remember some background. Paul and Barnabas had been missionaries uh, sent out uh, by the church to going on the first missionary journey, and there were many people that got saved during that time, and Paul had agreed to go on a second missionary journey, and Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, which had departed from them, left them last time, and Paul said, no, I'm not going to have him go with us. Uh, so Barnabas didn't go either, and Paul took Silas, and Paul and Silas left, and they also took a young man named Timothy, and Luke was with them, who wrote the book of Acts that we're in. And as they went, they journeyed, and they came to a particular place in the missionary journey that the Lord uh, spoke to them through the Holy Spirit and gave them what is called the Macedonian call. In the Macedonian call, they were to go over to Macedonia in that area, in that region, and they would begin to witness there, and people would get saved. And one in particular, here in, in chapter 16, verses 14 and 15, was a certain woman named Lydia. And she was a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, and she worshiped God. And here it says that she heard the gospel, what Peter, I mean, what Paul and Silas was preaching. She believed, and then she trusted Christ, and also her household, all of her people in her household got saved. And it was a great blessing unto Paul and to Silas and, and the company that traveled with them. But then, as so often is true, after blessings come into our life, Satan sometimes allows his demons to work out to bring in discouragement, to, to bring in opposition. Uh, there was a woman in verse 16 that was possessed with a demon, and she was one that did soothsaying. She was involved in the occult practices uh, of the demons, and there were two men that were handlers uh, for her that made a profit because of her soothsaying. But this woman began to follow Paul and Silas and, and would cry out that uh, these men uh, are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto you the way of salvation. Now, she was crying out, and, and she kept crying out this particular thing. You would think, well, she was saying the, the truth, she was saying the right thing, but she was identifying herself with Paul and Silas and with God's gospel message. And she was nothing in line with it. And by doing so, she could have been putting herself in a position to do great harm. So Paul turned and he told the demon to leave the woman and the demon left. And the woman was no longer able to do soothsaying. And so the men that she had been working for could no longer have an income. So they were were irate concerning uh, Paul and Silas and took them and brought them before the Roman magistrates. And there they were questioned, they were condemned, they were stripped of their clothes, they were beaten with whip, they were imprisoned, and they were put into the stocks, into shackles in this dungeon prison. And again, as I said, so often that's the way the devil works. After a great blessing comes, there will also always be sometimes a, a, uh, a, a discouragement or a trial that will come into our lives to try to discourage us. 
I've seen it happen so often in my life. Things that uh, God would do, and it would be such a great blessing and, and a tremendous joy. And even sometimes before the day would end, there would be some problem that would arise. The devil would work something out to try to discourage me. And I see, and sometimes uh, wouldn't understand, but lately uh, the Lord has allowed me to see some of these things and say, Lord, I know that this is just the devil trying to take the joy out of my heart. And I would pray and say, Lord, help me not to lose the joy of what you have done and the blessings that I've received today because of this trial that is before before me now. And not always perfectly, but uh, that's the way the devil works, and we need to recognize it. But I want you to see next in verse 26 and following, there was a deliverance. They were in this prison. They were in a, a bad place, and yet God delivered by an earthquake. The earthquake came. The doors opened of the prison. The shackles fell off their feet, and uh, the prisoners were free to go, but Paul did not leave. And the jailer that had heard them singing and praying and and praising the Lord, came running in and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He got saved and his whole family as well. We praise the Lord for what God did with that deliverance. But I want to bring your attention just before the deliverance to the praise that Paul and Silas gave. It says in verse 25 that at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them, and also the jailer, evidently, because of his response there after the earthquake. So we have here Paul and Silas at midnight, after having been beaten with a whip and stripped of their clothes and imprisoned and put in these stocks. After all of this going on in this dark prison and damp conditions, unsanitary, yet they were not sitting there complaining. They were not sitting there discouraged. But they were praying unto the Lord and they were singing praises unto him. What a response. I remember the song that says God wants to hear us sing when we go through the trials of life. And it's so true. But more than that, I want you to see what that singing represented. Praying unto the Lord and singing praises unto him was magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ before these other prisoners and before the jailers uh, that kept them. It was a testimony of what Jesus Christ was really like. In their lives, in the midst of trials, Jesus Christ was magnified. And that's the key that I want you to see. What about your life? How do you respond to trials, to difficulties, and to interruptions even in our lives? Do we have a testimony that would praise and, and bring uh, uh, uplifting thoughts and, and words about God to others during those times? I pray that it would, and if not, I pray that it would begin with each one of our lives today. But now I want you to take your Bibles after having seen the example of Paul and Silas and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And I want us to see next the express desire of the Apostle Paul. He writes here in Philippians 1, beginning in verse 20, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, 
but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul had an express desire. He had a, a an overwhelming uh, desire that Jesus Christ would be magnified by his life. So I have four questions. First of all, what was Paul saying? He was saying that he was committed to having his life clearly and consistently magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ by living the way that he lived, the way that he responded to everyday situations, and the way that he would eventually die. He wanted his life to be a clear presentation of the magnified Lord Jesus Christ, to see him as he really was. Magnify means to see more clearly, and that specifically is to see how glorious and wonderful our Lord Jesus Christ is. We don't really have to magnify him. We just have to display him very clearly. We want people to see him clearly. So let me explain. What does one, how does one magnify anything? Well, my grandson Brock is eight years old. Um, he's in the stage right now of collecting bugs. And the other day I was over at his house helping my son Robert with a project and, and, um, Brock came around to the front where we were working and had his jar full of bugs. And he wanted to show Grandpa what the bugs that he had. And so he began to, to show me the bugs and tell me about what he had collected. And I started looking at them, and I was a little amazed at some of these bugs. I didn't even couldn't even identify some of them. But some of them were beautiful as far as the color and the detail. And the closer I looked, the more that I could see. And I thought to myself then, boy, if you had a magnifying glass and could look at those things, how much more could you see of the beauty of the Lord's creation, even in these little tiny bugs? What a magnification that would have been. And that's kind of what it is with us magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Our life is kind of like a telescope, if you will. Many of you have looked through a telescope. I enjoyed playing with one back years ago. And you could look up and you could see the moon, you could see the stars, and so many more stars in our galaxy than with the naked eye, and, and they look so beautiful, so majestic. It reminded me of Psalm 19 and verse 1, where it says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. His handiwork is that of creation. And we see that, and know specifically according to Colossians 1.16, that it's the Lord Jesus Christ who created. All things were created by him and for him. And we praise the Lord uh, for that truth. But that's kind of what magnification of anything is. When we magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, we are making it possible for others to see very clearly his glory, his magnificence. We have a great God. And we want to display him clearly. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Is your life a telescope that clearly and consistently magnifies the Lord Jesus Christ? We'll see that we should be a 
magnifying glass that others can see very clearly what Jesus Christ is like. So how specifically do we magnify Christ? Paul answered that question uh, in verse 20. As he said there that it was in his body, in his body, uh, Christ shall be magnified in my body. It's in our physical body that Christ is magnified. Why? Because that's what the world sees. They cannot see our heart. They cannot see our mind, what we're thinking about. But they see our body, our actions, our reactions. And so Paul said that whether it be in my life, my living, the way I live my life, facing living every day with the the things that happen, the trials that come, the difficulties, the pain, the sorrows, the blessings, the compliments. As I face all of these things, Paul says, I want people to see the Lord Jesus Christ clearly magnified in my life. I think Paul would have been the first one to coin the phrase WWJD. <laughs> what would Jesus do? Because that's what he was trying to get others to see what Jesus was like, what Jesus would do. And he was a testimony of that. I want to magnify Jesus Christ in my body by my life, by how, the way I live. And he says, I want to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ in my body by my death. That is, by the way that I face dying when it comes. Paul knew that... Um, his death was probably going to be, uh, come not in a natural way. Uh, he had already been in prison. He was in prison when he wrote this. And uh, he ended up, sure enough, uh, being put to death in one of the last imprisonments that he was in in Rome. And so we know the outcome there. And Paul wanted to face death in such a way that people would see Jesus Christ through him. And we need to understand, too, that in the way that we live and face life, and even in the way that we face death, that we need to be careful to represent the Lord Jesus Christ and to magnify him clearly so that others could see the hope that we have within us and the expectation of what we have of Jesus Christ helping us, even in living and in dying. We should never fear to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we should never fear to die. Uh, by the way, there are some people that have been almost crippled by this pandemic, not having caught the virus, but just scared to death that they are. And we need to be understanding that while we should take precautions, our life is in the Lord's hands. There's nothing that can cause me to die today as long as Jesus Christ is not through with me. Now again, I don't go out and do anything stupid, but that is a truth. And on the other hand, if God is through with me, it doesn't mean that there needs to be a pandemic to take me out of here. There can be a heart attack. There can be a stroke. There can be cancer. There can be a, a plane that falls out of the sky onto my house. If God is through with me, he can take me out of here in any way. 
And so as we recognize we're in God's hands, as we live responsibly with that understanding, as long as God is still using us and has a purpose for us in this world, we need not fear death at all. And even if we know that it is coming, we don't need to fear it. For it is just leaving out of this life and entering into the presence of the Lord. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Praise the Lord for that great truth. That is his perspective that Paul had as we see in verse 21. As he said, therefore to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to bring your attention to the correlation between the two verses. He said that Christ shall be magnified in my body in verse 20, whether it be by life or by death. And then he says, for me to live is Christ, to live and to die is gain. There is the correlation between the two. Uh, we are to live about the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about him, not about us. Paul made the statement in 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, uh, I, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul tried not to get sidetracked upon weather and and baseball and football and golf and anything else that may come up in the conversation. But he tried to always bring the conversation back to the reality of the need of the truth. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is so important for us to understand as well. To him, to live was all about Jesus Christ. And to him, to die was just his gain. For he knew to be absent from this body was to be present with the Lord in heaven. And that certainly is a gain. Praise the Lord for it. So Paul's desire is summed up in his main goal. And his main goal was to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's goal was summed up in that one verse, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a valuable test for our lives. And I want to give that to you right now to consider. If you would fill in the blanks with this verse as you read it, for to me to live is blank and to die is blank. How would you answer that question today? Now, granted, it might be hard for you to come up with a proper answer immediately right now. And I'm not asking you to do so. But what I am asking you is, will you take time today to consider and think through at some point when you've got some time to just to sit and think and, and ask yourself, how would you answer? For to me, to live is what? And to die would be what? Some people would have to answer the question this way. For me to live, for to me to live is pleasure. And to die is an end of it. Some would say for me to live is money. And to die is to leave it all behind. Some might have to say for to me to live is fame, popularity. And to die is to be forgotten. And some might have to say, well, for, for to me, to live is the same old mundane. And to die is, well, I don't really ever think about it. 
Well, I'm here today to, to say it's time to think about it. It's time to understand that you cannot really live until you're prepared to die. And the only way we can prepare to die is by understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are all sinners headed toward hell. But God so loved each one of us that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die on Calvary, that whosoever believeth in him, and that means believe that, that he is the answer, that he is the one that has made the provision when he died there on Calvary to pay my sin, dad, and yours. When we believe that and when we make a choice to receive his payment as our payment of sin, then salvation takes place. We have a home in heaven and we have a destiny to be our gain when we get there. And we have a responsibility to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and to magnify him in this life presently. For each one of us then that are believers... Every one of us that know for sure that we've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, will it be said of you when your life is over, will it be said of you that you magnified the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope that that would be your testimony. If not, why not dedicate yourself, your body right now to that purpose? Say, Lord, I want my body what others see, the way that I act, the way I behave, the way I react. I want others to see Jesus Christ in me. I want to magnify my Lord and Savior, my Master. And why don't you purpose for Christ to be magnified in you right now from this moment forward? That be your decision. I pray, if it's not already true, that you would make that choice to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way. I close by leaving you this great poem. It's just the first part of it. It is also made into a a song. The lyrics say, O Lord, I give myself to thee and all that I possess. I lay aside my simple pride and claim thy righteousness. My will lives shattered at thy feet. I pray thy will be done. My only plea to live for thee and magnify thy son. May Christ be seen in me, O Lord. Hear thou my earnest plea. O take me, fill me, use me, Lord, till Christ be seen in me. Father, I pray that that would be each of our desires, our expectation that Jesus Christ would be magnified by our bodies, by our lives, in the decisions that we make, the reactions that we give. Lord, that I pray that even as we face death eventually, that Jesus Christ would be praised. Thank you for reminding us of this truth and challenging our hearts with it today. May you bless each of us as we continue to contemplate. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Thank you again for joining us in our service today. I want to thank also for those that have been faithfully sending in your tithe through the mail or dropping it off at the church. And for some that have used our online giving, we praise the Lord for each one of you and pray that you'll continue to uh, to give. 
And thank you for joining us in our worship service today. I hope that it's been a blessing to you. And I pray that God would bless you continually and keep you safe until we meet again. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye.